0: You awake? Yeah. I just want you to know I hate you. Sonspect dad.
1: Please go away, let me sleep for the love of God! Why don't you
0: tell me a story?
1: How do you sleep at night? I don't wanna hang out with a bunch of wannabe corporate sellouts. Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories is a podcast that exists to discuss and maybe set straight rumor, innuendo, hidden details that surround your favorite bands and songs. We take turns. My name is Brian. I'm Murdoch. And today it is Murdoch's turn to tell me the story of George Jones versus the Murder Cocaine Mafia. Is the Murder Cocaine Mafia a pickup band? Because I'm picturing that opening scene in Crazy Heart where Jeff Bridges and has like Ryan Bingham as his backup band. In, in George's autobiography,
0: <laughs> his, his backup band is called The Jones Boys.
1: Wait. But that is So that's his backup It's not a pickup band
0: No The idea
1: he, he had a guy No it's not a pickup band It's not like Chuck Berry The idea he, he had of Chuck Berry's pickup band For people yeah. who are not familiar Blows my mind I didn't know this until I was well into adulthood That yeah. there was a series of there, there was a certain type of musician At a certain time in history That would just Roll into St. Louis And be like I need I, I need a band I need a band It's part of the thing Yeah and I've, I've been on the receiving end Of
0: seeing What he specifically Chuck needed Specific amps And he needed a pickup band. And I saw him berate a bass player and get booed. 15,000 people boo, like, arguably the king of rock and roll. um, Because that happened. Can we get back? Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. George Jones and the Cocaine Mafia?
1: Not a pickup band. Yeah. Say it one more time. The Cocaine Mafia?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay, I'm in. I'm 100% in with this premise. Go. So this is
0: all from George's... Autobiography. This is all from George. So George was born in Saratoga, it's East Texas, and his major influence, which you can hear in the early George Jones, is Hank Williams. It is by design because he loved
1: Hank Williams, so he emulated him in all of his music. Can, and, can we can we do some real quickly? Yeah. Do a little history on Hank Williams. Hank Williams, because I think people get confused because the the Kids and the rest of the family And then yeah. his gospel Meanderings and all that kind of stuff So yeah. Hank Williams roughly making music In what decade? Um, like the 30s, 40s,
0: 50s okay. Yeah. okay,
1: so very early country music Yeah, George, in, the, in the 50s George Jones making country music In what decade? 50s yeah. He started, as early as the 50s. He was a teen... Yeah, yeah. What what we really think of as George Jones, he stopped loving her today, is like... 1980. 1980. Yeah. Okay. So, I think that timelining that is helpful. Go ahead. Yeah.
0: Look at that timeline. So... As a teenager, this has really happened to George Jones. So imagine you're a teenager and you grew up and you have this idol. It's like Elvis for him is Hank Williams. And so the local radio station, like little bitty radio station in his in his town, like the DJ, like someone calls up George and says, hey, will you come down? Um, we've got a guy coming in. He's, he's, uh, he's going to play. And I want you to play a little guitar. at Hank Williams. So he gets to be Hank Williams' pickup band kind of in the radio in the radio station. station and he shows up with his guitar as a teenager and he learned the song that George wanted him like George I mean that that Hank was going to play and he didn't let George do the the intro cuz the intro is like got a lick to it and Hank just started playing and George stood there dumbfounded and didn't play a note and watched his idol play, and he just stood there with a the guitar, couldn't do anything, dumbfounded, right? So that happened to him. And, you know, he later at some point he joined, he like got someone pregnant, he joined the army to get out of that scenario, and then like Hank died while he was, you know, in the army, like, you know, devastated. So, so, um, George gets out of the army, he starts this music career, and he gets signed to Mercury Records, like he gets signed to a big record label. And at the time, there was a guy named Sonny Burns, and Sonny Burns was like the other really big guy on the label. And just like what George did his entire career, Sonny goes to a producer and says, I want songs. Bring me songs. And so they gave Sonny a batch of like 10 songs, and later he said, Later in his career, he thought they were all shit. That's what he said. Like he quoted and said they were all shit. So one of those songs was "White Lightning," which George then took. That became a number one hit for George in 1959. That song was written by J.P. Richardson, which, if you don't know who that is, that's the Big Bopper. And you know who the big. You know when what happened to the Big
1: Bopper? Yeah, he was in the plane.
0: Yeah, he died on February third. White Lightning was released on March 9th. He missed seeing a song that he wrote being a number one country hit by a month. Because he died. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that's White Lightning. This is all Hank Williams. Like, if you listen to it. So...
1: I mean, yeah, and you you hear the big bopper thing, too, right? Yeah,
0: and if you hear the the beginning of it, it starts with a bass. Like, there's a bass lick at the beginning. And George admitted in his autobiography that he was drinking unbelievably heavily during this session. So much, this is the 83rd take.
1: (laughs) What? Okay, so how old is he at this point?
0: Uh, This is 1959. So however old George is right there. The bass player um, who came into the studio, who's playing bass on there, had to put band aids over his fingers to play this song because he put blisters all over his fingers playing this song over and over and over again. So he's almost 30 at this point. He was born in 31. So this is this song and this whole thing, everything about it is the essence of George Jones. It is fly by the seat of his pants, drunk unbelievable against all odds, getting a song that should have never been his and becomes an enormous star. He's the country version of Keith Richards. Times four, I'm just saying some of the stories about George are so unbelievable. It's just it's incredible. He was a drunk, a drunk that had a 150 hits. 13 number ones And almost 100 albums He was like Elvis He had so many records That came out And he would just show up And he would ask a producer To give him like 10 songs He would show up And be drunk as piss And sing them And that was it That was just basically how his career, that's how it went. But people were always struck with his voice. At some point, people said, why don't you sing in your real voice? And you've got to find out that he had this amazing voice. Rolling Stone eventually said he was the definitive country singer of the last half century. People were enamored by him. So why is he No-Show Jones, right? That's his nickname. So... why he he became No-Show Jones is because of the drinking. He started drinking heavy and he started taking speed. Like all the things you hear about Johnny Cash and everybody that's in country music at the same time period. He discovered downers, but he got a little bit of money and he would spend his money. He would spend money and never know where it was coming from he didn't understand how he was being managed he didn't understand how he was getting paid he just developed creditors he would just get debts left and right he'd have to do makeup shows sometimes he would miss his makeup shows on one occasion he missed the makeup show of the makeup show (laughs)
1: <laughs> so so yeah. I, I, let's, can we pause here for a second? I, I want to go back to where you you kind of detailed his output. This level of output is unheard of, unreal. Yeah, and and think about no one thinks about him like this. No, I mean I don't think when you are having these conversations about the greatest the greatest musicians and I, George Jones is definitely not like a disrespected, but I don't think he's in that same conversation even with someone like Johnny Cash on the countryside. Because I I could make an argument that that part of it is a country issue, right? Like, we don't respect country music. We don't, yeah. Because of the way this was, kind of the way it was produced. It's always been very commodified. And
0: incredibly self-aware. Like, where Johnny Cash doesn't care, George Jones was incredibly self-aware of where his place was as a country singer and was incredibly felt uncomfortable about how other people would feel about him. He played Madison Square Garden in the early sixties
1: and was terrified being in front of Pete New Yorkers because he was because he 's this country guy but, but it 's also interesting to me because when you go back to white lightning so that 's the song that really sets his career off yes. and you 've already pointed out it was written by the big Bopper. It sounds like a rock and roll song. Yeah. And yeah, and he did, there was a,
0: at one point he did a rock and roll record in the fifties and had a different name. You know, really? Yeah. Yeah. He, yeah, he did that. But, but at the essence of, of George was that he, he loved country music and that was part of him. And the difference between him and Johnny Cash is that George missed more shows than some people have ever played.
1: Is there a number? Have they, have they quantified the number at all? It's uh, he. The litigations were over a thousand. Are you kidding? No. So I've heard the no-show Jones thing, but I don't think I understood it to this level.
0: And I've got more.
1: And, I mean, and I, what, yeah. what? Like, what was this for a certain period of his career, or has this kind of followed him his entire career? It's, it's
0: went up and down a bit. So there was a time where, for sort of sometimes, where like early in the, I guess in the '60s, he was making twenty-five grand. And then that twenty five gram became two thousand five hundred
1: like twenty five grand a show, yeah, a and night. that's huge money
0: then and then he would go to two thousand five hundred because people didn 't want to book him, they didn 't want to take the risk, and then he would spend all of his money on booze, or he would go buy a car and then drive the car and be drunk and just leave the keys in it and go buy another car. <laughs> And and so he be, he'd he he so he'd owe people money. So he would just hit the road and do a couple of shows on the weekends. Sometimes for the door. So so he would he would he could get a little bit of money. So he'd have a little bit of pocket money. So he'd have some money to buy some whiskey. And and he had to he never like the band wouldn't get paid enough. But that's always what happened to him. But so imagine he started making less money. And when he would get paid at the end of the night, he had a six person band. So the booking agent would get 10%. Whoever the manager who changed super often, sometimes George didn't know who his booking agent and his manager was. That's how drunk he was. He didn't know who was doing those things. Those people would get 10%. He'd have to pay for the diesel for the bus. He'd have to pay for the hotel rooms, and then he'd buy booze for everybody, and then how much money is left for him. Right, He would spend all of his cash. He developed this huge line of creditors, and instead of paying them off, including child support, he would just get more creditors. And because he would... I mean,
1: I'm laughing at this, but it's actually horrifying. Yeah, and
0: and something that when he wanted to write this autobiography, he wanted to set this straight because people have talked so much smack about him being this drunk guy that didn't show up for shows, and he wanted to tell... set the record straight. So he became... What what record is there to set straight? It sounds like... Like that's exactly what happened. He yeah he he basically his his owning up to it and and at, at a certain point in his life said these are the mistakes that no one wants to make well at it, all like in being an alcoholic and the other things I'm going to tell
1: you they're going to blow your mind yeah I, and I <laughs> want to get there but I, I, mean, I don't think we're done, I don't think we're done here which is yeah. it's weird to me that his reputation like what you're describing is so maniacal. I mean it's really out of control. You have no idea. That But his he's still kind of known for the music.
0: Yeah. People would still pay and come see him even though they knew he wouldn't show up. It's not like Morrissey now. Like Morrissey kinda sucks. Like really. (laughs) Like you knew that like if George Jones showed up and like he was kinda drunk, you were getting an amazing show because he had this amazing voice. But he became more impulsive. And instead of eating, he would drink. Because there's sugar in whiskey. So once you become like an alcoholic to where you're a crazy alcoholic and you can just drink for three days, you you don't have to eat. Your body metabolizes the sugar that's in the alcohol. So that's what started happening to him, and then he made awful decisions. Imagine the awful decisions on top of everything else that he was doing. One time he was hanging out with Charlie Pride, you know, like the first like real African American country singer, and yeah. they were hanging out all day yeah. long with this DJ. And he made Charlie Pride like go, "Let's go drink for drink." And Charlie Pride wasn't, you know, very accustomed to doing something like that. And Charlie Pride like passed out. George and the DJ went out and spray painted KKK on Charlie Pride's car. No. George Jones did awful things. George oh Jones would wake God. up the next morning with his girlfriend and find out that he would beat his girlfriend, rip off her clothes, not remember anything about it, be yelling someone else's name. He was deranged and he was losing his mind at this time, before anything else happened, he was still drinking. So he's partying. And this happened in 65. So imagine everything else. I'm going to tell you this story, and then I want you to think about anything else that could happen to this guy. So he was partying in 1965, and everyone gets on the bus before the show. And they're hanging out and drinking taking pills. And this girl who's the secretary of his fan club, not even the president.
1: <laughs> <Okay>.
0: <laughs> and the and the poor the poor young lady passes out on the bus. Okay. So show's over and then there's an A P B, an all points bulletin, out to find George Jones. George stops at a payphone calls the police and they tell him that she's been murdered and that he's the last person that saw her alive and they want to talk to him.
1: So... The secretary of his fan club. Yes. Can can we dive a little more into who this person was? Did she have another job or was she only the secretary of his fan club? How much fan mail was he getting at this point in his career? The
0: worst thing was her family knew that she was going to see George Jones. Her favorite artist was George Jones. And her family found out she was on that bus. So the, the band, George, everyone, they took a lie detector test. But George said that what happened to him that was awful, and imagine now, that's 65, and now we're in 2020. Think about this, that there was a news article the next morning, and every time they mentioned this girl's murder, he was in every news article. He was never, ever, ever there. That girl was kidnapped in her car and beaten with a tire iron. That's what happened to her.
1: So after she got off the bus?
0: Yeah, somebody, yeah, somebody, like, she got off the bus, and then someone, like, she got in her car, and then someone got her and just beat her to death. And eventually they found the person. But, so, George is always around this kind of danger. And this is so early on in his career, right? So, you scoot a little bit ahead, and you're in the 70s, and he meets Tammy Wynette. And he's... Like, just by marrying her, it's the king and queen of country music. They make tons of great songs together. They tour together. They're like a package deal. Like Tim uh, and Faith. Imagine,
1: <laughs> imagine. Why are you laughing at that? That's it's, an accurate it's description. It. It's it.
0: Yeah. Imagine if Elvis, like, had married someone like Tammy Wynette.
1: Like, that's really
0: it. Like, it was super royalty. Do you want to hear how he screwed it up? With From Tammy a, Wynette? I mean, or- there's, there's lots of ways he screwed up. Pro- professionally the most awful way possible. They got booked in Vegas to do a week in Las Vegas. He's never played Las Vegas. And he is petrified about how those people are going to react to these country people up there singing these country songs. Splits.
1: Does No Show Jones? In Vegas? Bails on his wife. So she's there and he's gone? Doesn't show up. Oh f- okay, so let's pause here for a second and talk about this insecurity, right so yeah. like I mean, if we want to play if we want to play armchair psychologist to a guy who's been dead for seven years, like this is clearly he's just so troubled and insecure in his own right being he in- has his yeah there's this pain and he's hiding behind a bottle. And it gets worse. Well, and there's whatever probably caused this from his childhood or whatever. But then, even in his success, he can't revel in his success. He's insecure about his success. Yeah. He's worried about what people in other parts of the country think of him. The guy has got so much money, he can afford to crash a car and go buy another one and not remember it. Yeah. And still survive somehow. And dresses amazingly. Do you know that...
0: He would like he's so hammered, but he always looked fantastic. He would he would be he would be he no dry no dry cleaners, Brian. He would just dump his clothes wherever he wo- was and just go buy more clothes.
1: So he'd be drunk as piss and have on like a new nudie suit like the next night. <laughs> Is is that, that way That's the legend I want. Like he he was he was a train wreck as a person, but he always looked fantastic. Right now, despite all this, that's what's really
0: interesting is he made a couple of little like interesting business decisions. He built an entertainment venue at one point that like everyone in country music played at. Like, it, like there's really, like, bits and pieces, but, like, he would screw it away. Like, he'd piss it away with, with something, but he always had these great ideas. Like, he'd buy a house, and he would redecorate the house. Like, there was something incredibly creative in the guy yeah. that you would just not get out because he was beating it down all the time. He never knew where his money was. He ne- never knew, like, how his money was being spent all the time. So, I want to jump ahead... And talk about the important part of what I wanted to get to. So now we're getting to the meat of the
1: story. This has all been set up.
0: Oh, yeah. So now we're in 75. So we're in the mid-70s. And this nightclub opens in downtown Nashville. Well, like Music Row. And there's this guy, and this is his real name. It's Alcee Benjamin Shug Baggett. Shug for short. (laughs) That was nice of him. So Shug did not like country music, but he liked money.
1: So he wanted to open <laughs> so up so many that describes so many people in the industry. That's right. Listen, I am not really a big fan of Luke Bryan, but you know what I do like? Yachts. Money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like I like money and fish. So
0: he asked a friend okay, I need to put a name on the marquee so I can get people in here. And his friend told him gave him three options fair and young. Oh, yeah. Webb Pierce (laughs) or George Jones? How about all three of them? The hell of a triple bill. George went on to say, now in retrospect, um, in his autobiography, he wished that Farron or Webb had got that deal instead of him. And it wasn't because who he was or how much money he had or how many records he could sell. Suge and George had the same barber. Wait, what? Suge and George had the same barber. So, Suge would come into the barbershop to get his hair cut, and the barber would listen to George Jones records all the time. And Suge hated listening to George Jones. And then, randomly, he went to a concert one night and saw him and was blown away, super impressed by him, by his show. And at that point he was like okay I want his name on the marquee so he ran into Suge George runs into Suge at the Hall of Fame Motor Lounge in Nashville which we're going to which we're at some point we're going to revisit in the story again
1: does that place still exist
0: no um and he, so Suge sh- drops in on the table uninvited to
1: pitch the idea to George. George does not remember this. This is a cinematic scene. Like how many how many movies have we seen where there, there's a seedy 1970s lounge? Some yeah. guy, hey kid, I'm gonna make you a star. Hey yeah. kid, I'm gonna be. Hey. Yeah. yeah. All right.
0: And he uh, so George doesn't remember because he's too drunk.
1: A reoccurring theme in his.
0: Life. So Suge wanted to find another time to maybe pitch it to him when he was sober. George thinks this happened about four times. Oh, my God. Before, like, it actually worked. So, there was a, this is typical George, like I said. Everything. Handshake deal. Nothing written down. No contract. A handshake deal to perform at his club. To make, put his name on the marquee. George walks into the club and says, we should redecorate this place let's do this and let's knock down this wall let's do this and and Suge loves all these ideas he's like this is gonna be like a hundred grand so so when you say put his name on the marquee he's going to perform it's gonna yeah like he won't be there the whole time but it'll be like George Jones um, possum holler that's what it's called yeah and so it had his name on the marquee and so it's the, like theme? Like, it's a... It's like, you know, it's like, imagine if, like, Tim McGraw has a bar, but he's not
1: there. It's like Toby Keith's I Love This Bar Bar. Right. Oh, got it. Okay, yeah. okay, okay. Yeah. Okay. yeah. yeah. <laughs> hey, I should. Let's, I think we should make a disclaimer for anyone listening to us for the very first time by some odd accident yeah. that we both used to work in country radio. I know. Okay. Anyway, because, yeah. like, I know a lot of random... They like, were probably like, why does this I guy love, know so much I Love stuff? This Bar Bar. About <laughs> <laughs> so Toby funny. Keith. Yeah. So... So anyway, he he he's like, oh, I love all these items. Let's let's. So do he's a- he's making the George Jean jo- George Jones themed restaurant is or bar. It's like a like a nightclub, like a, where you have like live music now, or whatever. Wait, so- can you think about a Farron Young themed bar? No. Like no. would you go to a Farron Young themed no. bar? No, no, <laughs> no. That's that might be the gold nugget in this story. It's it, it, the idea that that might have happened.
0: Yeah. So so George so so Shug tells him this is like a hundred grand in renovations. So George says I'll put up half of it. So Shug goes to see George's accountant. His accountant and says, "Hey, um, George said he'd put up half of it." His accountant laughs and says, "George doesn't have any money. He's broke." So Shug finds out that. He's just put this guy's name on the marquee that he's going into business with. And he's essentially penniless. Yeah, he's just whatever he's got in his pocket. Oh, my Lord. So, but what Shook did find out through his accountant is that George has been divorced three times and he never contested any of those and he never got a settlement. So he continues to just pay the women? Yeah, he he never contested it. He never wanted to argue about money. Do you think money. it's because he was drunk? He never wanted to argue about money with people that he loved. That's what he said.
1: Well, I mean, those are rose-colored glasses, but don't you think part of it was he was just too wasted to... Give it comprehend shit. what was happening at any point? I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, you've pretty much made that excuse for every decision he's made up to this point in the story. Well, he was just really wasted. So, yeah. I mean, I, I love the idea of, like, he has this one weird heart of gold thing where he's like, listen, <laughs> we were married for a little bit, so you can have a bunch of my money. But, like, yeah. I think he was just really drunk all the time. Well, so
0: imagine this bad idea. So George then asks Suge to be his manager.
1: <laughs> Oh, How does that benefit anyone? And Shuk's, and George says... Oh, because he has no money. He's like, maybe you can manage my and, money better. And, and George says, I'll pay you $500 a week.
0: And Suge then explains to him... You don't have any money. <laughs> How much money you're in on me on this, this nightclub. <laughs> still, Brian, still, listen, still, Suge agrees to manage. <laughs> and Suge's brother, Sandy... He has a brother named Sandy, becomes his road manager. This is true. So, so Suge's, Suge's moving the family in on this deal. Yeah. Suge, by the way, we're going to learn about what an awful person he is. However, very smart, shrewd guy in the music industry. He gets, George, a million-dollar performance contract with a booking agent. and Even with the no-show reputation? Yes. And... He has his already existing booking contract he has. They tear up the contract, no like nothing, because they want George to have money. They want him to be successful. And he gets an advance. He gets a quarter of a million dollars advance. So he uses it to, to pay, to back. To pay well, to pay off creditors that he's got. <laughs> and he spends the rest of the money, and the money's gone almost immediately. 250 grand just like that so at this point it's taking all of his strength to just work because everything he's doing is pointless he doesn't make any money and he doesn't understand why everyone takes his money he's so naive he, he doesn't get it so he drinks it's what alcoholic does right you drink more it's a depressing story, man. So, one night at Suge and George's Possum Holler nightclub,
1: <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't stop yeah. laughing at the idea of going yeah. to a Farron Young theme I mean, nightclub. I'm, I'm laughing at Possum Holler Club, and you, you're, you're that's yeah. also good. But yeah. man, shout out to Farron Young. Yeah. So,
0: um, so. So many times in George's career, how he became No Show Jones is he came up to someone and said, I can't go on, man. I'm too drunk. Or, like, he just disappears. That happens a lot. But I can't go. He he'd finds someone he could be, like, he can fight in and say, I'm too drunk, man. I can't do it. And, he'd bail and he bail on these shows. So he tells Suge, he goes, I'm too drunk. I can't go on. And Suge, apparently, is a very large
1: guy. Uh, look, he... All guys Shug. named Suge? like right. You can't be small. Yeah, you can't be like th- like I. Don't, I only know of a couple, but yeah. they've all been huge. Yeah,
0: you can't be like Vern Troyer or <laughs> or anybody like that, right? So he tells George in his own nightclub that he is contracted to play and he has to play. So at this point, George has only heard of cocaine. Oh, Shug. Takes some out and puts a little spoon above his below his nose.
1: So, so at this point, his vice is alcohol only. I know you've said Just, that over and over, but yeah. typically when you we're, see a train wreck like this, you assume there's a lot of substances at play. And the train wreck we're about to watch, and it's one you're not going to be able to turn away from until we get to the end. So, is this part of the inspiration for? The Dewey Cox story where Tim Meadows keeps sticking his head in on John C. Riley, telling him, like, you don't want to do this, man. You don't want to do this. Which is one of my favorite rock and roll jokes in a movie ever. Yeah. And it's like, it's, yeah. I mean, mean, it essentially kind of is this, right? Yeah.
0: So he does like a little sniff of cocaine and then vomits all the whiskey all over. (laughs) Oh, God. So for the first time ever, he hits a stage with not looking like a million dollars and he's up there and he's all jacked up on cocaine and he's playing and he notices people are looking at him and he realizes he has vomit all over him, but he doesn't care. He's just trying to get done with this show. And now from that point forward, it isn't just alcohol, right? So Suge knew a guy. Surprise that supplied George with an unlimited supply of cocaine as much as he wanted anytime it would give him a blast of energy. Right. So it keeps him going. But George said this and it was great. How you can tell that he didn't, he didn't do AA like George didn't do these things, but he talks about it. Like he's been through so much that he understands everything about it is that cocaine makes addicts confused it makes their decision skills terrible and illogical. His decision so, skills
1: were already bad.
0: So imagine where he is. So he, he, his decision making skills are terrible. So now he's made them worse and he didn't need a reason to be more impulsive or more irresponsible. But now he's ingesting a drug that does both of those things to someone. But it was a manager that had no, just, just, Why not? They got him hooked on this. They
1: brought out every horrible possible quality in him. And 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 this is, give me the year again here. This is 75. So we've been following him since he recorded the Big Bopper song in 59. 59, yeah. So
0: this is a story. George was supposed to meet Suge at the Nashville airport once, uh, and he bails on Suge. Uh, and gets in a car and goes to his friend's house in Florence, Alabama. Who, by the way, is Peanut and Charlene Montgomery. I just wanted to add their name. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, if if you're if you're big when you're Suge, you're probably small when you're Peanut. That's correct. Right. right? Okay. Yeah. Um,
0: and a, a a theme that's happened more than once in George's autobiography. Suge shows up with a convoy of automobiles and an airplane. Looking for George, he finds out he's in Florence, Alabama, and he like sets up like a post at a Holiday Inn and sends all of his associates running around Florence, Alabama, asking if people have seen George Jones. See what's happening. See what's happening. So,
1: so Suge is is going to take the empire over. Like, what what's happening here? Yeah, and here's the thing: this story
0: isn't even about Suge.
1: It gets worse.
0: So. At some point, George moves to Florence. Like, he he finally, like, the divorce, all that had gone away or whatever. So he moves to Florence and he lives there for like six years. He buys and sells 10 houses. In Florence? Are there 10 houses in Florence, Alabama? He moves like every 10 months.
1: Hey, can, can we just stop for a second and talk about the road trip we're going to take to Florence, Alabama to see all 10 of the houses? Do you think, yeah. How many of them do you think have a little marker in front of them? George Jones once lived here. Yeah. You can go on the tour. It's only houses that he bought and sold.
0: But imagine what those lonely houses were like. Yeah. Right. Right. So it's not like he lived in a house with some people. He's in there by himself. Confused. He's drinking and he's all messed up on cocaine right no food stops eating at some point uh 1980 81 or whatever he got down to 105 pounds and this is at the height of he stopped loving her today Uh, we're gonna
1: we're still like late 70s yeah but in 80 80 is yeah right so real quickly for people who don't know george jones's career super well is that the biggest song of his career yeah it's and is his first number one hit in six years at that point,
0: that's eighty. So now we're at seventy-seven. What's your favorite George Jones song? Um, I like White Lightning. Mine's Good Year for the Roses. Oh yeah, that's good. All right, uh, proceed. So, Suge gets back, gets him back in the game in the late seventies, like so around seventy-seven. Suge gets does this full court press with CBS. So he has he has a record deal with CBS, right? And. He has this big thing that he does in New York, this big press, like press junket, and like big press push. And the Village Voice called George at the time one of America's top 10 singers. The New York Times called George the greatest country music singer that's ever lived. Suge books him at the bottom line in New York City. And in the audience is Walter Cronkite, Linda Ronstadt, Elton John, James Taylor, Amy Lou Harris, the cast of Saturday Night Live, every print publication in New York City. (laughs) For
1: some reason, I thought you were going to say, like, the cast of uh, uh, Rhoda, Yeah, like, (laughs) Rhoda.
0: Yeah, Fridays. (laughs) So it sells out. Uh, So Suge has to book a second night. Uh, Suge spends $20,000 on a Learjet to fly him there. Guess who doesn't show up? No Joe Jones. Suge leaves. So between 77 and 79, George has a revolving door of managers and booking agents. So how long was Suge his manager? Four or five years? 75 to 79, and he comes back. We're going to hear about it. Suge comes back for a little bit. So for about a, a year and a half or so... George doesn't know who's booking his shows or where his checks are going. He, he's just he's sometimes showing up and sometimes not. And it's terrible. The, the band hates Suge when he comes back because the show will be over and the band will run to the box office to beat Suge to the box office so they can get money because they weren't getting paid. Because Suge would go and get the cash. So, Suge started just feeding George whatever it took to keep him up, like Dr. Nick and Elvis, to keep him up on stage. Once he started, at some point, he started flying a doctor in to shoot George full of, quote, chemical nutrition, whatever that was. And then... They took George, there was one week where they took George and they wrapped him in medical tape from below his waist to his shoulders and then had his guitar player and bass player basically put the necks of their instruments in front of him so George wouldn't fall down. And at the end of the night, they would pull the tape off and his hair off and his skin off every night. And he would cry and tell them to not do it, and they would do it again the next night to make sure that he would get on stage. He said he never drank enough to ever not feel that or ever forget that. So you drink more, right?
1: So let me ask you something. Do you think that when a star is born is reinvented with Christopherson, and this idea of a of a singer, a country singer, as opposed to the original incarnate. you know, there's so many incarnations of in that story. And in its reemergence with Bradley Cooper as this struggling yeah. alcoholic, right? Yeah. Was George Jones in, in his career kind of a inspiration to any of this? I,
0: I'd love to know what Bradley Cooper thought. I always heard that Elvis turned down the, the part that Christofferson took but I, I thought at the same time I was like didn't Elvis weigh like almost 300 pounds like, <laughs> like how is Streisand going to make out with him think he's, got, you know, he's got like sev-
1: 17 chins and everything uh, Christopherson oh man there was a p- certain point where like <laughs> yeah. I really was confused that Christopherson was like the guy in Blade and I was like wait a second <laughs> anyway proceed so, <clears throat>
0: So here's where Suge checks out. Suge gets arrested for selling two pounds of cocaine to an undercover police officer. Oh, right. Suge goes to prison.
1: Okay. Suge finds Jesus. No. Where? Like in the prison? Yeah. (laughs) He's like, like, what, was he in a cell? Was he he a cop? He ended up writing... Hmm. Uh, a large. Was he in the showers? Where was Jesus in this
0: prison? He, I love that you're doing this, and not me. <laughs>
1: this bit. Yeah. Sorry.
0: Um, but he ended up writing a long, a long like letter that wasn't really to George, but sort of was, like an apology. Mm-hmm. But he never apologized about the money. Right. George always, when he got sober, thought, "How much money did I get screwed out of?"
1: this guy ever going to apologize? So, so do we know that? Or is that just something that has gone down in history as, man, that guy got away with a lot of George's money because George was not in the right mind? Shug was interviewed for his autobiography and did oh, not really? admit to
0: taking any money.
1: Really? Yeah.
0: So now George takes a swan dive. This is where things are. I mean, have I, how many times have I said this gets worse? Okay. So now he goes to live in that hotel that I told you about earlier that he ended up meeting Shugan right he's living in it and he's singing sitting outside on the sidewalk like where the bus comes in and playing guitar and people go isn't that George Jones like I don't know that's not George Jones
1: are you kidding no
0: and at that point true story because Mike Judge uh, Beavis and Butthead Idiocracy. King of the, King of the Hill, Right yeah yeah has a, an animated series on Showtime, which I, I don't get to see because I don't have Showtime, and it's about rock and roll stories like us, but they're crazy and it's animated, and he has this story I'm about to tell you. George developed two distinct separate personalities I'm going to tell you what their names are. The first one is D Doodle the Duck." And the other one is the old man. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, like, I feel bad laughing at
0: this. Right. So at this point, he's so deranged, reality's gone. He's completely off his rocker. And as a crazy person who has a mental illness, I hate saying that. But his, he ends up having conversations where the duck and the old man are having conversations with each other. Mike Judge in that series that's on Showtime they have all these people that knew George said at one point they were on a bus with him one time and the duck and the old man get into an argument and the duck is really the no he would like sit in bed and just talk like a duck for hours or George said he would drive around and the duck and the old man would talk no George George is gone sometimes, but they're on the bus and the duck and the old man get into an argument. George makes George then makes the bus driver stop so they can kick the duck off the bus. (laughs) They get down the road, they get down the road and the old man feels bad and he makes the
1: bus driver drive back
0: so they can get the duck.
1: I mean, this is terribly funny when it's totally abstract. But in actuality, it's horrifyingly sad. Right. So so just
0: let me throw something else at you. that doesn't have to Can do I with hear the it, name of the duck one more time? It's D-Doodle the Duck. That's what he named it. I just thought it was a duck. I didn't know there was a name of it until I read the book. <laughs> I read George's entire autobiography for this, by the way. So... George attempts to declare a bankruptcy. He hires a bankruptcy attorney. So this is just, this is just some stuff that he listed. A bank sued him for $56,000. He had $12,000 in credit card debt. He had a $40,000 loan for his bus. He had a $77,000 loan to CBS Records. His lawyer fees were over $200,000. He had th- over $300,000 in default court judgments. That's just what he could name in there. He had 45 total creditors. He had $1.5 million that he was trying to clear bankruptcy on. His net worth was $64,000. But you were going to say, $64? <laughs> he didn't keep up with any paperwork, with anything. What a surprise. His bankruptcy was denied multiple times. Fired his attorney. Try to get another attorney. Have to pay the attorney more money you know eventually he would get an attorney who would be like look man you don't have any records these things Um, friends sent guys in white coats to see him like that's how he went to detox like he just one day you know they got really the the duck and the old man thing was something that threw some of his friends over the edge so he did like 30 days of detox um, right around 1980 and then He got in a studio, and that's where he Stopped Loving You Today happened, right after
1: that detox. So this is the most amazing thing I've ever heard, that he, that doesn't happen until 20 years of absolute chaos. Right. And one year later, in
0: 1981, Barbara Mandrell, I remember watching this as a kid, I don't remember this particular thing, but I remember this. Um, She's on the Country Music Awards, and she's singing, I was country when country wasn't cool. And there's the part where, at the end, where George goes, I was country when country is not cool. Throw my head down to my boots. And she hops off the stage, walks over, and goes, George Jones! And hands the microphone to him to sing the two lines, and he doesn't remember the words. You know why? Because he's drunk as piss on TV. No one's surprised. Same year, at the Grand Ole Opry once, backstage, he went up to his old booking agent, James, and said, I'm really tired. Can you put some in-between times between these like big jumpers with doing these dates? And James says, George... I haven't been booking your shows for a year. (laughs) George asked James, where are my commission checks going? And they didn't know. He's operating as an artist with a business. Doesn't know where his checks are. Doesn't know where any of it's going. 81, this is where the denouement, I love to always say that's where we're getting at, George's manager becomes a guy named Wayne Oliver.
1: It is a horrible pairing and a perfect pairing. What has to be wrong with you to say, I want to manage this guy at this point? It's <laughs> not like well, you don't know what you're getting into. Well, you want to get paid. People yeah, but pre- is is anyone getting paid? That's very unclear in he's, the version of the story you're telling. He's not. He's not getting paid. Is someone intercept intercepting the money and yeah. handing it out in white envelopes before it gets to George? Yeah, Yeah, he's not getting paid. So... George meets this guy named Wayne, becomes his
0: manager. Wayne being his manager was an awful idea. However, Wayne's girlfriend had a girlfriend named Nancy. Nancy became George's final wife, Mrs. George Jones. She was Mrs. George Jones the day he passed away. Wow. So that was, this is 81. So thirty something years later. Yeah. She had a job at the phone company. She had a job in an assembly line like it worked at 20 years. He convinced her to quit her job and come on the road with him. And everyone said, don't do this and go quit your job and go with him? So she does. Completely naive woman that has no idea that she's in with someone who is in unbelievable throes of addiction, no idea. Does she know about the duck and the old man? <sighs>
1: <laughs> the duck and the old man disappear in this story here. When, I don't know they, if it went well when with therapy. They show up? I mean, is it like they're laying in bed after uh, after an intimate moment <laughs> oh, <what>? and all?
0: <laughs> so, <laughs> so she took it upon herself. She saw George when he was sober and knew that man and she determined that the alcohol initially she didn't know about the drugs the alcohol was this evil in him it had to get out It's just things that made him into the person he wasn't and then she discovered that she would drive him to this recreation center all the time he'd go in I mean, staying there for a little while. And so one day she went in to find out why he was going in there. What, what was he doing? And she went back there, and that's when she met that, oh, this is, this is where his drug dealer is. And this is where all these people are back here doing cocaine. And George is barely conscious. He's just back there shoveling cocaine. And what she didn't discover is Doesn't look like this is his free will, that he's doing it on his own will, that he's going back there and it looks like they're holding him and making him do it to where he's almost delirious. Who's they? Just these are the business associates of his manager. Is this the cocaine mafia? This is the cocaine mafia. We
1: just got to the cocaine mafia. I'd almost given up on ever getting there.
0: We're in Muscle Shoals, Alabama, where they now are at. And this is where she discovers before he does that there's these men who are now fully in charge of everything that George does, no. they they they're, they are George is paranoid that they're watching the house, but they are. What? No, 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 no way this an, is true. An, no an, way this is true. Enough, enough that they try to leave, and they're
1: stopped. At the end of the road sometimes. So he's been so incapacitated that has- this this new manager has come in with a group of people who are actively controlling him with narcotics. Yes. This is what you're telling me. Yeah. This is the cocaine mafia. Yeah. The interesting thing that...
0: Do you buy this story? What he also said was that what later, what he didn't understand was that he also had a different supply. Like he was getting cocaine from somewhere else, he thought. And then he didn't understand that these people all around him and around his management were trafficking cocaine. And they were violent, terrible people who were murdering people. Nancy discovers this later. Right. And we're not even what? there. What, Nancy befriends one of these people. Like on purpose? Like it, I don't know how it happens, but George explains that Nancy befriended somebody and it's a person that calls her almost like an informant to tell her this is where George is. And she'll show up and she'll get there and George would be laying on the floor crying and there's just cocaine everywhere. He's just been sitting around like you know, they're like they go and get George and they take him somewhere and she would
1: lose him for days. Not know where he is because of this. I mean, he's again, the time frame. He's actually at the top of his game yeah. career wise. Right. While all this is happening. Yeah, this is this is do, insane. Do,
0: do you th- know what do you know what the name of the the informant guy that she becomes friend with? Do you know what they call him? Deep throat. Big
1: Daddy. <laughs> That's just as good. Yeah. So, wait, can I ask you a question? Yeah. You, the source material for this is heavily his autobiography, correct? Yeah. Right. So, we're talking about a guy whose personality is once separated between a duck and an old guy. Right. Do, do we trust this story at all? The, do
0: you trust this story at all? The way, that I, the way that I have, I trust some of it, is that this is, a lot of this has to be, here at the end, has to be Nancy. Because
1: I'm going to tell you what Nancy, at the end... This, this is also a woman who decided to stay with him for 32 years, and we've heard about what he was like. But I'm going to tell you, the end of this story
0: is about Nancy, and you're not going to believe it. All right. Okay. Let's, let's do it. Finish so, it up. So now, he's he's not getting paid. He's getting paid in cocaine. See what's happening? They kidnapped Nancy's daughter. Because they were trying to leave Muscle Shoals, they kidnapped Nancy's daughter once, and they called the house and said, "We have your daughter." And then, and then Big Daddy calls and says, uh, "Nancy's daughter is here," and they go and they get her. Like they have somebody like on the inside that's helping them that, for some reason, is helping George and Nancy. Um, so. George and Nancy would try to leave in the middle of the night. They'd block the road. Um, they'd take George out of the moving truck and take him back in the house or take him with him and disappear with George. Fill him full of cocaine. And so when he even wasn't with them, he just did more cocaine. He couldn't stop on top of everything else. So who's the savior in this story? Her name's Nancy. Nancy discovered what all these guys were doing. Nancy learned how to book shows. Nancy learned what it was like to manage an artist. Nancy learned about publishing fees. Nancy learned how to pay band members. Nancy learned how to book and run a tour. Nancy becomes George's manager and helps him escape. Big Daddy gets his head cut off. What?
1: What? What? Okay. If this story is true, why has this not been the biopic that has won the Oscar? Like, why have we not hit this with all of Hollywood's juice? Why has this movie not been made? That's what I want to know. Yeah. I mean, we've seen the Dewey Cox story, which is weirdly close. Yeah. But but this is absolutely bonkers. So do do people popularly, regardless of what you think, in general, is the consensus that any of this is actually true?
0: I don't know. One night this is how I got all into it. One night, YouTubing.
1: You got I, to that interview clip, that floating red interview clip where he's talking about it, right?
0: He's on, he's on like the Nashville Network with yeah. Ralph Emery, uh-huh. and it's five minutes long. Yep, it's been like you can barely hear it. It's in one channel, and it's five minutes, so you barely get anything. So I wanted to read his whole book, so I read his entire book about his life and everything, and it's devastating to hear him talk about the throes of addiction and everything you went through. And you know what? Even, he wasn't ever complete. He didn't go completely sober after that. He said he would have like a six-pack of beer over a summer. And that when they would go someplace really nice, he'd have a glass of wine. But he'd never want to have a second one.
1: I mean, how did he get out of any of this. I mean, does he attribute it all to Nancy? Mm -hmm. Yeah, save his life. Yeah, but that's not a real answer. Yeah. Well, this is his story. Wow. I want to know what you think if you're listening to this. Do you buy this story at all whatsoever? We are the story guys at (laughs) gmail.com because it is just absolutely, you know, whereas a lot of this stuff we've talked about on this show is pretty verifiable. We're mostly dealing with a single source here. Yeah, this is this is the autobiography. And it's and it's his you know it's his source which is him so you who, have to wonder if first person if this is true who very much in the story is clearly not reliable because he's talking <laughs> as a duck <laughs> and an old man at the same time but it I mean even if it's not true it is absolutely fascinating just in the plot machinations of this idea yep. of him sleepwalking through the height of his career while while being controlled by evil cocaine munchers. It's yeah. absolutely crazy. And he went back out after this,
0: after he got sober, and was on top of his game, and sounded amazing, and had that same voice.
1: I mean, he was doing the, arena tours up until the couple years before he
0: died. And And you know what? He would... He he had the ego, like the id, that guy, this insane, selfish, addicted person, went away. He didn't play, like, if he was playing bill sometimes, he didn't want to play at the end. He'd play, like, middle to bill. He didn't care. He just wanted to play. Wow.
1: Wow. All that, right.
0: That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs>
1: rock and roll bedtime stories man talk about rumor and innuendo get involved with the show we are the story guys at gmail.com my name is brian he's mark and we have another show called story guys that you can check out wherever you download your favorite podcast and remember all things we do you can find on our website we are the thank you for hanging out thank you mark for reading whatever it sounds like the most giant autobiography like a harry potter sized autobiography New York Times bestseller <laughs> was someday. <laughs> and, and what do we want people to continue to do? Keep telling stories about George Jones.